0: We're live in three,
1: two, one. All right, everybody, welcome once again to West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak Brand Camo and the Gamekeeper Studio. And yeah, studio. I look around, everybody's got
2: masks on. This is a little different. It's a hot bed down here, Bobby. Well, it is. It's and, hot,
0: uh, we, and it, we don't want to get it. No. Nah. I, I like working in this office. I don't want to have to sit at home for two weeks. Hey, we, but, but, but we're going to talk about positive things today. Like right. it's food plot planting season. It, it is, so. and we've
1: got a once the, the first time ever, and we've wanted to do this before, but we're having a warehouse clear out the warehouse sale in, in September, September 9th through eleventh. So if you get if you're within the sound of our voice here, you can
3: <laughs> you can drive. Bottom line from Malsio, we realize that the safest social distancing practice in the world could possibly be planting your food plots amen and we just want everybody to be safe and healthy during right. this period of time that's, it, right. it's, that's a great
1: way get out to on it. that
0: tractor and and that's a great way put, to put some it. seed in the ground get outside
3: so
1: you yeah. can
0: hear we've got taxi Hay sitting over in his chair
1: that's going he's gonna be
0: he's gonna we got be, the food plot crew today we do. i mean if you want somebody talking about your food plots these are the guys not including me yeah, I'm like the cheerleader, but nonetheless,
1: you're a laborer.
0: I'm a good laborer. Yeah, you know? I'm, a, I'm a fine hand. Yeah. Lanny, Lanny works like he's killing ants. Yeah, <laughs> he
4: wears everybody out.
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, we it's got all Austin. I know. <laughs> Austin Delano is in here with us today as well, and old yeah. food plot superstar over there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Austin, uh, can you say hello, Austin? I'm here. Glad to see you over there. (laughs) Always glad to see you. I'm so excited about this sale, though. Seriously, though, it's September 9th through 11th. And, uh, you know, you can drive over here and we're going to have some really good values. And be careful with your microphone there. Uh, I
0: guess that's uh, Richie over there. But look, this is not, this is, again, we posted on this a little bit about social media. This is the freshest seed you can get. You're getting it straight from the source here. Uh, you, you, the stuff that we're going to have for sale are our premium blends. Uh, it, you need to come by here and get them. You can't, I mean, it's going to save you a ton of money shipping to instead of a blind through plantbiologic.com. We can definitely ship it to you, but if you want to save some money, Come meet some of the guys, you know, get Bobby to load your truck with brassicas. Yeah. Come on by uh, and check us out. It'll be fun. Guys, if you're two
2: or three hours away, flip a coin with your buddies and one of you drive up up there and and
0: load load the
1: truck up. You can ask Dudley questions, too. We'll have that. Is Vandy and Sam, are they going to cook? Yeah, I don't know, but you know, Vandy's probably gonna cook something yeah, at some so point. Too. So, yeah, we'll uh,
2: we'll encourage him to do he's that. He's gonna be
0: eating something, yeah, right? that's yeah, sure. yeah. That, <laughs> so that, that, that's that involves cooking. He'll bring enough for everybody. I, you I, know, he's yeah. all, he's a really good host.
2: I told Vandy I wanted some real custard style homemade ice cream. Ooh, that would go well. And uh, I don't think that's gonna happen.
0: He had to make a bunch I asked of it.
2: him too late. Okay, well let me let me ask this: Have you
1: guys noticed? Uh, Bronson sent me a note the other day that that buck that swam the Mississippi River mm-hmm. over in Arkansas has come back. Oh back. Yep. wow! It's in the paper for Sunday. Yeah, it's pretty interesting that that deer would go on such a, a long trek. And it's just amazing to me that something would walk up to the edge of the Mississippi River. And that thing is so wide at that point down there. And you know, it's kind of once you
3: get started, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> you better go. really want to yeah. turn back. <laughs> yeah. And I think the river's lower this finally. You know, we've got a lot of friends that have property inside that levee, and it's been brutal for years. I think they're having a better summer. I don't think the river's as big and wide and as mean. You know, we got a – I got the – we should post it. I got the picture from our buddy – Bernie White with the two long beards swimming, swimming in the Mississippi, yeah, swam really in the Mississippi River. Yeah, and a guy fishing caught them on video for the last couple hundred yards. They swam and jumped out on the bike and ran off. It's that, unbelievable. That
0: They're crazy. pretty good little swimmers, too. I never
3: realized
0: that. Yep. I didn't either. I, I mean, I would fly. I don't
2: know. I mean, I, I've been <laughs> in the Mississippi River before, and I can't imagine – Swimming across that. Well, think no. about
5: this where you get in is not where you're going to get out. That's right. Huh? I mean, you know, the got to lead it. You know, you those
2: tornado it. whirlpool things that show up. You can throw a stick in it and it'll just disappear and never, yeah. never come back to the surface. Yeah. 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 So, Toxie, what do you think made that, may, may have influenced that deer to,
1: to go on that, that?
3: I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, they have homing instincts for certain times of the year. Who knows? Uh, I guess two, one thing,
0: you know, he'd done it before, so yeah, yeah, it
1: was very interesting. He, it that he crossed at the same, almost the same exact spot. He
0: yeah. might have secured a breeding opportunity over there last year and remembered it.
1: Well, that's yeah, a long time before that.
0: Yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you well, Bobby, you uh, know, Bobby keeps a pretty good calendar over there. So.
1: You know, I'm thinking that uh, some some of the that now that his horns have about finished growing, you know, he's in the latter stages, and some of those uh, guys over there in Louisiana may have started doing a little intensive scouting, and that maybe pushed him back over. I
3: don't know the river. You know, the only thing I think about it is uh, a couple of years ago, we had a devastating flood, wiped out great numbers of deer in that part of the state, Uh, wiped out the food, the crops, everything. And so it pushed a lot of deer out of their home range at that time, and maybe it trained them. Maybe that one escaped, you know, left because there's nothing to eat and just trained himself to swim the river. Who knows?
2: The Maybe one, he's just got a better sense of adventure, you know?
1: Yeah. So well, th- the interesting thing, I, I mean, I read the whole thing, and and it said that the last time <clears throat> when he crossed the river, that he bedded for 14 hours. Well, I would too. And, After swimming, and, and, he was tired. And Bronson and Demaris were saying they never see one bed that long, ever, that they thought he had died. And then he got up and, I mean, he laid down for, a river, I think they said, 13 and a half hours.
0: That's an English. That that's, that's tell you how strenuous. man. Oh, if I should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> that's Dude, amazing. Yeah, it's, oh, it's so cool. The amount of you know, just the we learn something new about them all the time. Well, the, the main
3: lesson we can them. learn as gamekeepers and everybody listening in all their places they hunt across the country, just one thing is don't take anything for granted. That's right. I mean, there's just no telling. What they might decide to go do, I, I have seen them miles and miles. I had nothing like that, but I have definitely, for sure, documented known certain deer head pictures. And uh, I mean, you know, a mile and a half or more in one day. You know, from one day to the next, I've seen them do it. That's incredible. You know, a lot of our
1: friends now are experiencing EHD. I'm hearing people in the Midwest saying that they're seeing it, and some guys in the upper New Northeast, Dawson. Yeah, I think you've
3: yeah, I mean, probably got some friends. New York.
1: Yeah, so it's it's pretty bad this year in some places. So hate to hate to hear that, hate to see that, and we encourage people if they encounter a deer that looks like it's got DHD, to be able to be sure and call your local agency to get them to try to help you out with that deer. They can act crazy, is my understanding. I don't want to be around a crazy acting deer. No, you I know don't. that. No, you don't. <laughs> All right. So look, first thing we're going to do. Uh, I'm looking at Lanny. First thing we're going to do is call Todd Ammonrood, and he's going to tell us what's going on up there. From the the north. The fall issue, Yes, The food plot
0: dude. So you want to dial him
3: up now? Might as well dial him up. He might be out musky fishing. Ah. He could be. Maybe a northern pike, possibly. Ah. Ham Lake. If it's walleye, send them in the ice cooler. They are delicious. They are delicious. Mm -hmm. They are fabulous. Here we go. Here we go. Ringing. The food plot dude.
1: Mac, are you up there? Yellow. Yeah, okay. Hey, Todd Ammonrood. Hey. Hey. How you doing, Lanny? <laughs> I'm good, man. <laughs> how about
6: yourself? Oh, this isn't Lanny?
0: This is Lanny, well, but that was Bobby. He yeah, uses okay, my I'm phone. Sorry, I'm his secretary. Phone. I have to dial up his people for him. No. So they're one <laughs> in the
3: same, Todd. Uh, this is Toxie, Talk- gotcha. Talk- gotcha. by the way. Hello. But, they're great stuff. but we got Dudley
1: here Austin sitting over here in the guest chair And we were going to talk about food plots A bunch uh, of food plots today. Dudes. But First thing I wanted to ask you is uh, The fall issue, is, I think it's at the printer uh, How's it looking? Uh, it looked great to me I'm possibly more proud of this issue Than anyone we've,
6: uh, we've ever done I don't think there's uh, a bad article in it uh, We got uh, rubs and scrapes We got... Uh, When will the, about, when the rut happens every year, uh, which does you should be harvesting, because it, it can make a difference. Uh, we got some good stuff on logging and, uh, tree plots, um, a bit on wild edibles. Uh, oh, one, a little yeah. ingredient wild in the house. That? foragers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The big, right. yeah. I,
6: I was watching. I was watching the show alone the other night. That's pretty. I would joke. die out there because I don't know. You know, I, I I know a few of the ones around here, but you know, all the wild edibles that are out there. I I find that very interesting. Um, one one article that I'm really excited about is. Uh, Hank Parker on the pond fishing for bass. Oh, yeah. Uh, for big bass. Um, he was always one of my fishing idols growing up. And a uh, little, little trivia for you back in the 90s, I was a guest on his show a couple times uh, when he came up here to Minnesota. So, uh, uh, but I've always thought he was a, a true gamekeeper and one of the best anglers I've ever met in my life. So I'm excited about that one. Um, uh, we got a bit on fall turkey hunting, um, uh, waterfall. We got uh, uh, managing beaver ponds and impoundments, how to attract more ducks.
3: I, I resemble that one right there, <laughs> yeah, right now. Do. I
0: just came out of a mud flat to come. You, you're planting and replanting, aren't you? Yes. Man, he loves it yes. so much. He likes it's, to plant twice for him. <laughs> It's It's arduous.
3: <laughs> yeah. The summer of 2021 has been arduous growing duck food. I,
0: like Boston it, well, was talking about been, earlier. Yeah, Go ahead.
6: It's been bad for food plots here. I, I see, I watch the weather uh, down where you guys are, and it looks like you've received adequate moisture, but uh, I've been planting food plots since 1984, and this is the worst year I have ever seen uh, by far. Um, it's and it, it's so bad. The native vegetation is so bad. And uh, I purchased uh, a big sprinkler system with big two-inch hoses on it uh, not too long ago uh, and have been using it. So anywhere that I've watered my food plots, they come in and hammer twice as hard because it's actually producing new growth and new tender young growth on the on the plants and uh, everything's lip high. My, any corn that I had has been eaten down to 12-inch stalks and uh, luckily brassicas are, are coming up good. And, uh, we see about a, we got about a half inch of rain. Two notes are going. It looks like we're probably going to get more this weekend. So, uh, we may be able to correct that.
2: Yeah. Gosh, I, I didn't know you guys were having such a problem up there. I, I just uh, assumed the whole Eastern half of the U S was getting almost too much rain and the Western half is not, mm-hmm. but so you're, uh, you're, in, you're lumped in there with the Western guys, I guess.
6: Well, yeah, North Dakota. We've got some customers in North Dakota that uh, keep in, in fair contact with me, and they're in what they've described as a super drought. And it, it's moving this way. Parts of uh, the central part of our state is classified as extreme drought right now, and uh, we're pretty darn close to that. And even the the moisture that we're receiving now, uh, is a little too little and too late. But, uh, I, I brassicas, I've, I've had this happen before with brassicas and they, they tend to, you, you get them a little rain to germ them and, and get them up and going. And, uh, they usually hold their own pretty well.
1: Well, boy, I tell you what, you guys may be, the nature may be setting you guys up to have a really rough winter. If there's not going to be an abundance of, uh, of forage up there because of this drought, that's uh, just kind of trying to think ahead. It, that's that seems like that's going to be problematic.
2: Yeah,
6: cross fingers. You. Well, they're all they're already eating radishes, which typically usually doesn't uh, happen around here until the the last part of August. They'll start to get. Uh, uh, on the radishes and then obviously on to the, to the other brassicas. But, uh, uh, in a text to Bobby, the, the other night I mentioned to him, I had a, uh, dough with triplets and a dough with twins. Uh, and they're already just mowing down the, uh, the radishes and the food plot I got in the backyard here. So, uh, yeah, I hope that's not the case.
1: Well, Todd, sounds like the magazine's going to be a really good one. I enjoyed, uh, when, when, when we were, putting this thing together it certainly looked like a good one we appreciate all you've done for it and we look for it guys can go to Bass Pro Walmart the tractor supply that thing should be in those stores the first part of September but like a lot of things COVID has created some short uh, there's some there's a paper shortage right now so we're, we're we're told we're running a few days behind but they ought to be able to get some more so Anyway, guys, look for that magazine that's coming out. Uh, and, Todd, we appreciate all you did. And, look, we hope you get some rain up there. That's, that sounds like rough times.
6: I'm going to do both. I'm going to cover my tracks. I'm going to do both a rain dance dra- and say extra prayers. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah, do that. Do that. All right, guys. Well, we're, Todd, we're going to let you get back to work. We're going to move on down the road. We appreciate it. Sounds good. Have a good one, boys. Good, good talking time. to you, Todd. Good, to see you, buddy. good to talk to you. So, look, guys, let's, let's dive into this. Austin, we got you here. This podcast, we wanted to talk about the do's and don'ts of food plots, but perhaps it's things you've learned through the years. We've all learned things the hard way. I'm looking at Lanny. I, so I know I got some mistakes true. I
0: can talk about.
1: Yeah, but so, Austin, you talk to a lot of people. If Let's just start laying out some of the things that you know you have got to do. And I'm assuming you're going to start with soil test.
5: Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about that so much with Johnny when he was here well, a few weeks ago and just how important knowing what you've got. And we have so many questions from guys that are like, you know, what, how much triple 13 should I put down? It's so, I mean, there's so many variables to that. And getting that soil test done ahead of time takes out so much guesswork so that when you do tell us what you're going to plant, we can say, all right, here's your foster levels. Oh. Whoa, Todd, calling back. Yeah, that. yeah. Well, Lanny's bookie. <laughs> Lanny, I'm going to need you to
2: leave the classroom.
5: It's uh, it's just <laughs> so it's nice to Bill be Gips, able to. Bill <laughs> oh yeah. it's so nice to be able to know what a customer's dealing with versus I I cannot give a good recommendation when I don't know what you've got.
1: Yeah, sure. And
5: so that nine dollar soil test goes so far into not only telling somebody what they need but also telling them what they don't need. Yeah, uh, me and Dudley were talking earlier. His place is very high phosphorus levels.
2: Yeah, because uh, for about the first 10 years of my food plotting, I never did a soil test. And then, you know, before I came along, I don't think we were soil testing either out there. And uh, I finally got it done. My pH was like 4.7. And uh, the phosphorus, it basically said that it was borderline toxic. There was so much phosphate buildup in my soils. Yeah. To this day, I I think I put an average of about like a third a bag an acre of 046O according to, you know, what the test tells me to do. And it, uh, I called the soil test lab uh, and they said, don't even put any out for three years.
0: Right. It was that high. Yeah. So
2: there's no telling how much money we threw out and wasted uh, to, you know, with that middle number on the bag that we didn't even need.
5: Yeah. So that's probably one of the biggest things I tell the guys, you know, that call that are asking, you know, what kind of fertilizer do I need is like, well, let's get a test done so we know what you don't need as well, because we don't need to be throwing good money after bad when we know good and well, you know, by that soil test that your phosphorus is extremely high. Then obviously we're going to use a fertilizer that is not high in phosphorus. And the great thing about the way our soil samples are broke down is that, it does allow you to find out what you need and buy it piece by piece. So if your phosphorus and your you know potash levels are great and you're growing brassicas and cereal grains, then we can just use nitrogen. Or if everything is lined up pretty well, we can just come in there with, if your pH is low, you just need a little bump in lime. And that's, that's the biggest thing is just knowing what you've got. It doesn't matter if it's a quarter acre food plot. Or if you've got 50 acres you're planting, having something to base it off of, so that we know what kind of recommendations to give you.
2: Sure. Yeah. To to put it in a perspective, a soil test is about a third of the price of a bag of fertilizer. Eight yeah.
0: <laughs> ninety nine on
5: you know, that That's comment, right. By the way, or free if you get
0: it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean. No excuses. Hey,
0: look, we talk about plants being nutrient transfer agents all the time. You know, what we're trying to do is get all that good stuff from the soil into our animals, you know. So it just makes sense to start with the soil.
1: Sure, sure. So I'm looking across the table at Toxie. And down at y'all's old school hunting club when you were just a little boy, I think y'all were probably – that club was one of the first to – to
3: do food plots. It, it, yeah, I, mean, I think it, it probably it, was in the 60s. In,
1: so when you think back in your mind, th- those guys back then probably weren't liming.
3: No, no. And, and no, no, no. They probably were fertilizing. I'm them. not so sure they even did that. I think they just pretty much planted a on cereal grain, and that was it, of some type, wheat, you know, or oats. Uh, yeah. So, and I know um, in parts of Alabama, you would hear, they would, they wouldn't they would call them food plots. They were called oat patches. Mm-hmm. Hmm. By a lot of people. So it was just, you know, winter crop cereal grains you could buy at a local co op. And I think that's pretty much all that was planted for a good while and only mm-hmm. in that part of the country. Uh, we started this and nobody was talking about food plots. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we started Biologic, I mean, there was one other company selling like one type of clover and that was it. There was nobody selling food plots to eat. Yeah. There were people starting to plant some, but if you you know if you picked up an outdoor magazine, which at the time was the leading media source, to be honest with you, um, you might once a year in the late nineties or early two thousand, you might see an article about food plots in the late this time of year. But I would say largely you didn't see anything. So I, I guess one of the
1: questions I wanted to ask you is that in your mind's eye, when you think back to those old food plots, mm-hmm. old oat patches and mm-hmm. what they look like in your mind's eye, remembering that, I know you do. And then today with a lined food plot, highly fertilized, the productivity, oh, it's, uh, it's just yeah. night and day, isn't it?
3: Oh, yeah. And R- I, ridiculously so. And I mean, they were there. Uh, and there were most most of them eaten to the ground, you know. But it would still stay green and
1: sure. So uh, the the point is that, that if guys will will take the time to do all this right uh, yeah. and do a soil test and then fertilize accordingly, and then plant the best seed they can put in the ground,
0: yeah. And, don't uh, plant old seed, and then let no. mother you know, Mother Nature got to do her part. That's that, that's for sure. Yeah, but if if, she, if seed is is old and inexpensive, there's a reason it is because. You know, you've spent all the time out there, we talk about this all the time, the lease, the tractor, the diesel fuel, your time, you know, the, the, the least expensive part of this equation is quality seed. Oh, yeah. You know, so. for sure. Yeah.
3: But then that's a waste if you don't do the other stuff. Like yeah, that's, right. So, yeah, that's right. The soil. I, I would just add um, for people's general broader wisdom that, you know, and Austin said it right off the bat, the, the key word about food plots, it's very diverse and complicated. There's just no, I can pick up the phone or we can, we can, uh, you know, give people all the wisdom in this podcast if we go on for hours. And I make the analogy to like fish pond management because we talked about Hank Parker and fish pond management. It's actually very simple. There are some things you need to change. There's, a, you know, test your water there too. But you get with a good fish supplier biologist and they can look at your lake and give you a formula and guarantee you success as long as you adhere to it. It's just so, almost so simple to get those great results. It's completely different with planting stuff in food plots especially. It's so much more, honestly, it's more complex than guys farming corn, beans, cotton because we're, most people are planting in adverse uh, situations sure. for a plant to survive mm-hmm. compared to you know hundreds or thousands of acres of open, rich, cultivated ground, and you know um, some of the best places in my mind that I'd love to have a lush food plotter are, are you know remote and uh, woods all around it, which means you know it's not very big. It's going to get more grazing. It's going to have something pulling nutrients all around the edges, you know, and moisture, and so. You know, so there's, you know, you start with the soil. Well, there's, there's soil types and there's soil fertility. That's two different things. I mean, fertility is so complex. It's a whole chemistry equation. And it's more complex than N, P, and K on your fertilizer bag. It's really complex. And then there's soils that are compact. There's some that water goes through like a sieve and all the stuff in between. So it's it's so complex. It, it makes no sense if you're serious about it and not starting with a soil test.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's that's good advice. So, look, let's start here. Dudley, I'd love for you to explain. You've got something that you've kind of coined as throw and mow. Yeah. Could you kind of just give us a brief ex- explanation of how that works for you on your farm? And you're a, basically
2: a couple hours away, so it's, this is you've kind of adapted this to help. Yeah. And uh, I'll start out by saying this was not my idea. You know, I've been on forums and chat rooms and, you know, now Facebook groups for years and just uh, learning by talking to other people and learning from their mistakes. And uh, anyway, a lot of folks have been doing it. Uh, Some people call it poor man's no-till or throw and mow. I use it on about a third of my food plots every year, and this will be year seven. And uh, it works really well. I like doing it with those early brassicas. and uh, I also like to do it on some of my better sites, so my, my good bottom ground. Now, tell um, us where—not specifically, but what part of the state are you in, and what time? I'm, are I'm you in, in central Mississippi. Central Mississippi, and, and you're and starting to try to plant this
1: at what time of the year? Uh,
2: brassicas, I always aim to do it around Labor Day weekend. You know, maybe okay. between September 1st and 15th. All right, so go, ahead, go ahead. I start out by mowing on as, as high as I can get my bush hog. You know, like a foot. Okay mow it high, Um, hopefully it'll rain a little bit after that. You come back two weeks later and spray, and I spray glyphosate. Um, I'd actually like to work that out of the picture. Um, I wanna try to get one of those roller crimpers in the future, but for now, I'm spraying. So I spray, I come back two weeks later when it's dead as a doornail, and that's usually around Labor Day weekend, so I, I have to time everything. I throw out my fertilizer, lime if I need it, and seed, and then I mow it. And so you're just covering, you're putting that seed on the soil surface. um, And now it's kind of on a little topsoil layer that's forming from, you know, I'm in year seven. So you mow to cover the seed, and that little layer of mowed grass, um, it's kind of like acting like mulch, it's trapping moisture between the soil. And that, and that little thatch layer, and so your seed can sprout, and it just pops up through that, that thatch layer, and it's off to the races. Um, I've been really surprised that it's worked every single year. Um, and I don't mean 100% of my field comes up perfectly. There's going to be a couple of bad spots. I'd say I average 80 to 85% coverage.
4: That's uh, pretty good. That's yeah, really yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, beautiful.
2: I've never attempted it on on t- on a you know ridge top that's scalped, you know, like an old logging deck or something. I'm always doing it on my better spots, and uh, it's never failed me. It's worked great, and I, I recommend people try.
0: it. Mm. And so and you're just seeding brassicas.
2: I've been doing it with brassicas. Um, of course, if you wanted to try it with clover, you know, when mm-hmm. things cool off a little bit, I, I think it would work great. There's folks doing it with, you know, cereal grain, clover, brassica blends, and being very successful with it. I, I just personally haven't tried that yet. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure.
3: Brilliant, really, but it also illustrates a broader piece of learning that I've gained, made mistakes on is that um, I've, made more mistakes by planting seed too deep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And mm-hmm. when you, you know, in more recent years, I mean, it it just putting it right on top. Honestly, you want a compacted soil, but you've already got that. Now, for me, particularly around here, some of this stuff is like concrete, and it really helps to break it up. Mm-hmm. And it's just too compacted. Uh, especially if some of this stuff had cattle grazing on it for a long time before we had it. But, um You know, I will say in response to that, it teaches me that uh, to be careful not to plant them too deep. Now, you know, moisture is moisture, and you got to have it to survive. And uh, but what a genius way to do small plots that are hard to get to, uh, and it is uh, a cost savings. But it's you know, if everything works, it's a better you know, soil seed situation than what we go to all the trouble to tear it up, disc mm-hmm. it up. You know, everybody's mm-hmm. talking about, yeah. man, I can't wait to break up a bunch of ground with my tractor. It, just think about it. Maybe that's not the best answer every time. And again, it's so complex. Sure. There are a lot of different ways that will work, but there's a lot of different things.
2: It is. And you know, nothing, I mean, a, a really good, perfectly done seed bed. If, if you're going for perfect germination that's hard to beat, and that's that's what we've always recommended, you know, is uh, tillage and, and running a cultipacker, or a drag and getting that perfect seed bed, mm-hmm. putting it out at the proper rate, and then using the proper tool to cover it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always a great way. But, you know, there's there's new things on the horizon, and people are learning and experimenting, and, uh, you know, give it a shot. You know? Well, one thing
5: we've always talked about is think about the how wide – of a demographic of people that are planting food plots.
3: Oh, my gosh. And, Mm
5: -hmm. yeah, some people have access to a 200-horse John Deere and, and all the implements. And some guys have got a tiller that is in their granddad's shop, and they break it out once a year to break up their food plots. And some people are like Dudley. They're absentee landowners. It's tough to get equipment. Even though they do have larger fields, it's tough to get the right equipment in there because of access and drainage and there's a million variables. So not everything we always, you know, explain to folks is an ideal planting situation is gonna fit the mold for every single guy that they're planting food plots. And to your point, the whole throw and thing is I mean, it's it's basically a branch off of, you know, what you're seeing with the regenerative farming these days and, you know, trying to create a more ideal soil health situation and, you know, lessening the amount of Fertilizer inputs, lessening the amount of herbicide inputs we have, all which have some sort of a negative effect on soil in the long term. But one of the biggest reasons that I think this works so well for guys, especially in the south, is notoriously September and October can be two of our driest months of the mm-hmm. year. And well, typically they, they are. Typically will be. Yeah, no question. And so anything you can do to conserve that soil moisture is gonna pay off big time. And so when you're not flipping that dirt over six and eight inches deep in the prime time of the year that it needs to already be germinating and get up and get going so that we get as much growth out of it in that short window so that we're not planting it too early, but we're not we're getting plenty of growth on it before frost sets in and kind of slows that whole growing process down. Some guys that might be the ideal planting method and I would suggest that guys try it on a field. If mm-hmm. you're skeptical about it, try it on one field versus what you've been doing and see if it works for you. And if it does, adjust. Maybe do a couple of fields the next year and see if see if it might not be a better plan because if, you're, if you think about throwing that disc in that ground, and nobody loves to do it more than I do for the most part, but you think about the amount of moisture that you're losing when you go in there and you turn that dirt over September the 5th. If we get great rainfall – you might, not, you might not see a difference, but if we don't get tropical storms, if we don't get any hurricanes that push up some gulf moisture, it might. If we get those high pressures sitting on us sometimes in the fall. We have this beautiful weather. It's cool. You get a little bit of dew, but the food plots are just sitting there stagnant. They're not growing. They might be germinated, but they're just sitting there.
1: Matt, this is really interesting. Dudley, I know you're real concerned with your soil health, and I think that's one of the main reasons you're doing that. So thanks for explaining that. So, guys, I'd like to suggest let's call one, a, a guy named Kenny Thompson, who's been a longtime friend of ours, written a bunch of articles in the magazine. We've done some shows with him. He's got about as green a thumb as anybody I know. He's in Tennessee, and I just wanted to ask him a couple of questions or let y'all ask a few questions about some of the things that he's learned the hard way. And Lane, you've got his phone number there. I'm going to dial him up. Oh, Kenny Thompson. Mac, would you wake up over there, please? look like you dozing off. <laughs>
0: He needs to get out. Is that you? He needs to get out. Hello. Hey, Kenny.
1: What's up, Kenny? How you doing, fellas? We're doing good. We got Dudley here, Lanny Toxie sitting at the end of the table, and Austin Delano, and somewhere around here is Mike Thatcher. He's in here, too. He's probably there on the
2: ticking time. (laughs) Man, it's good to hear your voice. It's been a while. It has. It has. I hope everyone's doing good down there. You uh, avoiding floods and army worms up there? Uh, no, we're not that fortunate <laughs> to avoid them. Matter of fact, we're, 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 uh, we're in full battle
7: mode up here with army worms right now.
0: It's the most devastating year I can remember.
7: Yeah, same here. I, you know, we dealt with them off and on over the years, but I, I don't remember them being this early, you know, from July starting. That's been the, that's been our biggest challenge is that. You know we can get ahead of them, but we can't stay ahead of them. And uh, so we're we're actually making our second cycle through a lot of these places now, trying to combat them and keep them keep them at bay. Wow. Mm.
1: So, Kenny, look, we're doing this podcast on uh, – we're wanting to try to give people some ideas and ways that they can Im- improve their food plots, and you, pl- you plant a lot of food plots every year. I'd be scared to know just how many of them. What is your kind of your favorite – what is your go-to technique? What kind of seeding equipment do you use? What's your go-to uh, pieces of I mean, because Kenny
0: travels. You know what I mean? He's not just – he's moving his equipment and everything else. He, so he it's is. one of the most fascinating parts of his operation.
7: Yeah, our, our biggest challenge on equipment is, is just like Lanny says, being mobile. You know, we have to be able to safely, uh, move, you know, on a, just about on a daily basis for, you know, weeks at a time. So, uh, you know, we, we started off, you know, 20, that's our 21st planting season. So we started off a long time ago with very simple, small equipment and try to stay mobile. And we went through the evolution of, of upgrading to, you know, being the no-till and, you know, uh, the progression of a lot more expensive, you know, better equipment. But now, you know, we kind of kind of made full circle, and you know, with the blends that that we love the most, like Green Patch Plus, that's my that's my favorite one of all time. That Premium Perennial. You know, when you start looking at these blends that that have different size seeds, you know, there's there's just hard hard to get away from just a simple broadcast spreader and covering the seed up lightly. I mean, it's just it's tried and true and it's worked and um you know I, i've i've you know made the progression of of no tilling back to conventional tillage to you know broadcasting to you know er, er, just about every way you can think of it. so uh my favorite right now as far as our fall blends um like i said green patch with you know, it's got a multitude of seed sizes in it so uh, i'm just a fan of getting a really good seed bed and, and broadcasting and and then, uh, depending on the soil condition, whether it's really fluffed up and really loamy, you know, we may, you know, culture pack it versus drag it, or maybe just let the rain pack it in, depending on, again, what kind of soil conditions we have. But, um, you know, I, I'm a fan of, you know, I'm a fan of the, of, of just a good seed bed, a clean seed bed. You know, we, we're we in the battle mode right now, just as much as the army worms, we're in the battle mode with weeds. And, um, you know, we're seeing more and more. Tolerances with a lot of these weeds and the, and the chemicals that are not working on them. So we're we're in a you know a constant battle with that part too. But you know, conventional tillage uh, in the fall uh, is, is hands down my favorite.
1: Yeah, that's that, that's interesting. I know you. I, I've heard you say several times how much you enjoy pulling a cone cedar around behind the
7: <laughs> I <your tractor>. do. <laughs> I do. I do. You know, we we matter of fact, I would say, by the right now that ninety percent of my fall planting. Uh, we're broadcasting with a cone spreader, you know, on the back of a tractor or dragging you know, behind a UTV of some sort. But they're just so versatile. They're so mobile. You know, they're lightweight. They're easy to, easy to, you know, uh, to run. It's just, uh, it's just a simple tool that works really well.
3: So, Kenny,
1: tell me about timing and and there where you are in in Tennessee, Central Tennessee. Um, mm-hmm. w- w- ideally, when when would you like to plant your plots?
7: Um, typically. You know, of course we try to watch these weather events as much as possible, but typically we will start toward the first of September and I'll run until around mid October. Uh, of course weather dictates a lot of when I have to stop, but we usually have a six to seven week window there that we, you know, that we got to make our rounds and we got to get the seed in the ground. So, um, I've, I've seen years where our planning in early September turned out to be the best of the year. And then I've seen years where it was the early October planting, and a lot of that's just dictated on the rain events and the moisture levels. Um, you know, it, typically our our first frost here is toward the latter part of October. Um, you know, October twenty fifth, twenty eighth could be as late as the first or second of November. Uh, but if I get, if I can get this seed in the ground two weeks ahead of that, and you know, get a little bit of moisture on it, get a rain event on it, we're usually in good shape.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, Kenny, we're trying to make sure we give people tips. Is there something that you would say that you've learned the hard way that, boy, I just I got to do this every time? This is something I've learned that just makes a, makes an impact.
7: Yeah, I would say as far as fall plots go, um, you know, kind of combating that weeds, but also a challenge in the fall is a lot of the silage that sometimes you have to deal with and trying to turn under and get that get that good seed bed. The biggest piece of advice I can tell you is if you know you're going to be doing fall plots in September, say, don't wait till the end to go in there and bush aug and then deal with the hard pan ground and, you know, uh, compacted ground or deal with all that silage. Uh, go in there and clip ahead of time. Maybe get in there in June and July, get it clipped, get it sprayed, burn it down with something where you don't have to, you know, deal with all that silage. And then, you know, a lot of that will deteriorate and, um, you know, if, if you do have some compacted soil, go ahead and maybe run a subsoiler on it, get some moisture down into the ground. And then when it is time to plant, it'll help you get that field cleaner. And I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, you know, the cleaner you start, the cleaner you're going to continue to be through the year on that field, uh, and especially in the spring, but in the fall too.
2: That's a good point. A lot of folks show up just kind of last minute and they think they can bush hog it and, disk it 10 times in one day, and then they throw their seed out, and their fertilizer, and there's nothing but you you call silage. Uh, you know, it it's mm-hmm. almost looks like just mulch everywhere. And uh, what I learned in, in a soil science class was that ties up all your nitrogen. So all your That's nitrogen cool. is used to try to break that stuff down, and uh, it doesn't allow your plants mm-hmm. to utilize it. So...
0: That's a good point. And
2: that was
7: one that the McBride... Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But also, you know, if you have a lot of that thatch there, that silage that you're dealing with, it it could prevent having good seed to soil contact. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we're we're thriving for. If we put out so many pounds an acre, I want all of that seed touching good fresh dirt that's going to germinate. So, uh, you know, typically what I've been doing the last few years is that if, Let's say we pick up a new farm for a client that we know is going to be a challenge the first year. Is I will purposely go in early and I'll clip that field and spray it and let it burn down. And then I'm, I've even went in as late, I mean as early as late July, early August. And if I've had a, a heavy rain come through, you know we might be rained out on other farms, but I'll go in and purposely rough cut that one just to try to get the moisture level into the ground, get that field started, let that patch and that solid. You know, break down. Let it use up the nitrogen that's there before I put mine out for the fall. And you know, the, the you know, instead of chewing on it ten times, you know, in one day, I'd rather go in there with soft ground and in the late summer hit it and let it sit there. Then go in. It just makes your life a lot easier. You know, when it's time to plant.
3: One thing you mentioned, that we like to do in some places because I mean, again, there's so many variables. It's every. I mean, even on one property, you might have. 10 food plots and eight different type soils and situations. It's crazy how many different, and you just can't do something different everywhere. But um, we've had good, if it's not like in some of the deep, far recesses where it floods a lot, we'll have a lot of giant ragweed. Well, it'll be eight and 10 feet tall. Well, you can't just go in and there's no other way to deal with it. It will bush hog. But we've, to a point he made, I've had pretty good luck with this. If you have, some unwanted weeds obviously growing in the summer and you're going to go in it's just instead of going through the bush hog or going through the spray just go disc it one time and for some reason you know that'll kill most of the stuff it'll allow a little moisture to get in there deeper loosen the soil a little bit and for whatever reason come back in say three or four weeks um, it will break up a lot easier than what he's talking about you go in there you know and when it's time to plant and just cut it and cut it and cut it And you've got all this green material and not only is it a poor soil bed it's it's a pain to deal with you know so i I think that's a pretty good tip for some people actually might save on your budget a little bit more Uh, honestly and that's one of the reasons i for for the one only tool i really think this Ferminator is probably one of the best tools on the market because you can do all of that with one piece of equipment And if you've got to pick it up and load it and go somewhere else, it can do all those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But especially if you've gone in with a traditional disc, we found, one time. Again, if it's not too much, you know, green matter. uh, If you hit it one time, good. Then when you come back and you're ready to plant,
2: it's, you know, one more time and you're ready to go. Sure. A lot of folks will try to go ahead and plant. You know, they'll go, they all plan that weekend and it's just so dry. And if they would just wait for one rain to hit it, yes, uh, you know maybe lightly disk it to help that rain infiltrate. But instead of planting that weekend when it's just bone dry and chunky, come back a week or two later after it's rained once and soaked in, and that that soil will disk up like butter. So Kenny, we appreciate you being on here, folks that are that uh,
1: Kenny Thompson has a business called Plots Plus, and they can find you on the internet. I'm sure that. Type in mm-hmm. plotsplus.com, I think. Isn't that right, Kenny? Uh,
7: it's actually
1: .net. Dot net. Dot .net. Okay, you got me there. Yeah. You, so anyway, wait. look, we really appreciate you. You're one of our favorite folks, and you, you certainly know how to grow some food plots. You send us pictures every year. If anybody follows us on Instagram, you've seen some of Kenny's food plot pictures. They're gorgeous. So thank you, Kenny. We appreciate you being on. Hey, thank you, fellas. I appreciate y'all. Good See to you talk again, to you, Kenny. Kenny. Appreciate Good you, best. buddy. See you later. All right, bye-bye. So he really does, you know. He loads up a tractor and all his equipment travels from
2: farm to farm. That's what he does. Yeah, he's a mobile yeah. food. He yeah, he's well, good. One, at it. You know,
3: work ethic, buddy. Yeah, he yeah, is the one hard working. Yeah, he's you know, know, if, if anybody
2: himself. has learned from doing, it would be him. Yes, yeah. and I'm sure he's made some mistakes, but he's learned from them, and he's got a really good system down. Yeah, he does. He does, and you know
1: the 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 interesting thing about him, he manages so many farms. He gets invited to. To, you know, a lot of these guys say, "Oh, I'll
3: come go hunting," and he, you know, he, I think I picked the wrong pastime. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about it. But he <laughs> kills. I get invited some, to people, I Yeah,
1: well, he kills some big deer every year. Oh yeah, he really does. He's so he, again, he's an interesting guy. So, well, look, now uh, there's a question that I wanted to ask you guys, and Toxie, I'm glad you're here because uh, you and Austin can help me with this. But I'm hearing a lot of guys talk about when they're planting their clover in the fall that they're planting a nurse crop with it. And a lot of times it's, a lot of guys are using our, like our deer plot plus or Wintergrass. grass. Austin, I think that's one that you like, but is that nurse crop there to take the browse pressure off that young tender clover? I'm, I just want to understand that.
3: Go ahead. But I'll okay. go first. A couple but, things, but yeah.
1: Okay.
5: For me, yes. Um, so where one of my leases is just up from my house is, you know, we're in Tennessee um just to tell you how high the deer density is, you can legally shoot three deer a day for the entire season, three does a day. We have a lot of deer. And if you just go in there and let's say you prepare the soil to a T, everything's just right, and you plant clover. If it gets up and gets out of the ground, it's going to look great. But as with anywhere, with even a moderate deer density, that first new green thing that pops up in the food plot they're gonna come in there and they're gonna browse it. With that clover being so young, the way a deer bites and pulls, a lot of times that clover gets ripped up and it's very new, tiny root system with it. And so I have found that I have better success in this very rocky ridge top soils we have that if we put in a not even a full rate sometimes but at least a half to three quarters of rate of a cereal grain i really like deer plot plus green patch plus either one i still go with my full rate of clover yeah but with a half three quarters of rate of a cereal grain or a cereal grain blend even with the little brassicas in there it's great the deer are going to bite that first the clover is going to be growing down below it and it just gets off to a better start and the following spring it's night and day difference so the fields that we don't use a cereal grain crop in when we're starting our clover Typically we'll have really good spots in it and it'll have some really thin patches. And of course we end up having to go in there and trying to frost seed it because you can already spot it in February where there's just nothing there. It's bare dirt. And then there's spots where it's it, you can tell it's going to be okay. But generally if we use some type of a nurse crop, so to speak, uh, we just have better results in that high ridge top, rocky soil, um, and, and it's just extra food because clover is not going to come screaming out of the ground like your annuals. Uh, it's going to be a while before it really starts providing much forage. And, and for us, we're planting it for the following year. Just like anybody yes, down right. here is too. We're planting the clover for the upcoming few years. Yeah, if we have a really late frost, we we may have some three and four inch tall clover, especially with non-typical clover plus. Mm-hmm. You're going to have some jam up clover if the weather treats you right. Like. If it doesn't, we may have half-inch tall clover, but your cereal grains and your brassicas that you put in there with it are, you know, six and eight inches, and they're really taking the brunt of the browse pressure.
1: Sure. And then the next spring, you'll just clean it up with a—
5: Yeah, with a... You, can, you can clip it, terminate a lot of it with a, you know, with a mower, or you could use a grass-specific herbicide. A lot of times, I just kind of like—one reason I don't like to use a full rate of cereal grains is that the following spring, it's just so thick. And if it's just kind of a fifty to seventy-five percent stand, it's kind of the perfect combination of your clovers growing underneath it. It's really jamming. Let that cereal grain go to seed head. Yes. Easy turkey food. Um, don't,
3: don't touch it. What i was yeah, going to and say. just let
5: it mm-hmm. let it roll. You we know?
3: have the wild ryegrass problem, and those are the that's what you got to get rid of. And I've learned with clover. I mean. Our clover is everything. And so you've got to. But if you've got the situation he's talking about, it's actually perfect. And you've got, and then you've got late spring, you've got those dead stalks with seed. And they're actually, I, I believe, good for the clover to have a little bit of shade and a little bit of cover yep. and not just, you know, it doesn't exactly like to be burned by, uh, it, needs, it needs a little SPF 15, I think, is one <laughs> of the reasons why a little bit of cereal grain. It doesn't, you know, like, and I'm not knocking any of our plants, even Nebraska's, but sometimes that's too much shade to get clover established. Uh, and for whatever reason, oats and wheat especially, just they go together. It's almost like the, there's some kind, and I don't know this for a fact, it's just a, it just seems, and also know more than I would, but it seems like there's some kind of quote-unquote symbiosis between that nitrogen-fixing clover and wheat that they kind of like each other mm-hmm. if you don't introduce a whole lot of other stuff to it. And the other thing that's so, for me, is just, I know, I'm, I know I'm pitching a seed blend we have, but that non-typical clover is unbelievable. It is. I've literally seen a poor planting and too many brass get completely shaded out. There's just one here, one there. You barely have enough holding on through the winter. There's nothing. And then springtime arrives and it just erupts everywhere. And this year especially, Uh, We're late August right now, and we've got just, I mean, I've literally got hundreds of acres of clover. And we've never had all our places, unless they've been flooded, have got great clover. The deer should be in the best shape in the south.
1: Sure. So if you were going to plant clover, any place here in the south, you've got farms in Mississippi and Alabama, if you're going to plant clover, are you going to plant a nurse crop?
0: Yes. Yeah. And you're going to plant in the fall. Yes, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. And yeah. don't you find that the clover does better in Austin, too? It's planted a little later, a little, maybe uh, even closer yeah, to October? And, and so. I don't
3: think it. Austin knows more than me, but I, I it doesn't like a lot of heat <clears throat> right off the bat, yeah, I don't think. Yeah.
5: I have found that even if you went ahead and drilled a cereal grain and then came back in in, let's say, late September, early October, which for, for us is getting fairly late because, like Kenny said, me and Kenny got the same weather. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a frost in October 15th to November 1st somewhere. It could be really early. It could mm-hmm. be 1st of November. But I think it's the soil temperature. I think once that soil temperature starts going down, the length of days gets a little bit shorter, and the moisture, we start maybe getting some hurricane, tropical storm rains, and it cools that soil temperature off. Clover just seems to thrive germination-wise and growth-wise because I've planted plots on the exact same farm, you know, less than hundreds of yards apart, some early September, some very late September, early October, and the following spring, the clover in the late later planted fields where all we did was drill something like Green Patch Plus at a, at a fairly light rate and then just walk the rows with our non-typical clover in the first of October, that following spring, it's it's, it's magazine perfect. It's just,
3: it's it's just amazing, got a better start. It's, it's an got amazing seed too. It, yeah. it is an amazing variety of clover. Well, what's
0: you. the difference in non typical and, and mm. just regular clover varieties? Well, what I understand, I mean, this uh,
1: we've been dealing with it now, Austin, for about six years, I think. But it's a white ladino variety that was developed in California, and it's got a, a, a The leaves are larger. I mean, they're like a fifty cent piece compared mm-hmm. to a nickel. Uh, when, bigger uh, than China. that, yeah. And they have they. I've had, had some bigger
3: as palm my man. hand. Is that right? Oh yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. And they and it's late to flower, so it, it lasts it the spring when antler genesis. We've talked about this a bunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. When it's getting started, yes. th- this clover is later to flower, so the deer are going to browse it longer in the in the spring and early summer before right, it starts. Going toward trying to seed production. So awesome. more forage and awesome. longer no.
0: longer time to forage. Yeah. We had this conversation Maybe. the other
3: day. It's the first time and I've tried twenty different clovers in my life. The first one I've ever seen, if 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 you have any kind of moisture through the summer, you're gonna it's gonna last. It's gonna feed your deer all summer. And you can't say that about anything. It, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it will withstand our summer heat as long as it mm-hmm. has a moisture. Isn't that incredible? It just is to, amazing. Just
5: to differentiate it between other Ladinos, because there are other Ladino white clovers out there, this one went, you know, looking at a list of 40 different types of Ladinos that were bred and trialed and all this, this was in the top two and almost the top position in everything when it came to uh, bouncing back after grazing pressure. Uh, Traffic pressure, tractor tires, four Mm -hmm. wheeler tires, um, leaf to stem ratio, late to flower, as you mentioned, um, being uh, very—I guess the best word is resilient—to different soil types. I've seen it growing in pure sand. My back property line is six inches deep in pure sand. It's 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 a very odd place, but the non-typical just hangs in there for some reason. It's not as good as it is in other places. But it hangs in there all through the summer, Still there, yeah. and then I've seen it grow in some of the thickest clay and oh, it's, heavy loams, like
3: Yes, the the stuff in Alabama's really heavy clay.
0: Well, I know yeah. you struggled with getting clover established too. We got not some anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But clover really plus has been good,
3: but I'm just for the deep non non-tip It's unbelievable. Yeah, far for, for the investment, you're already doing it anyway during hunting season. Um, you know, the one, the big missing link for everybody, because I, I don't know the numbers, or I'm going to say 80% of the people that are planting food plots are doing it to shoot deer over men, and hunt mm-hmm. over them and yeah. food plots to hunt with. And not nearly as many plant them, you know, to help the deer's health during the summer. And it's harder to do. Uh, the best product we've ever had yeah. for that to help... People, let just say the average hunting club who has small one, two, three acre food plots left over from some timber company or who they lease from and that's all they have to deal with. Their best chance at having some summer nutrition to increase the, the health, you know, nutrition wise are deer through food plots at least. Is a non-typical clover stand. I'm just telling you, of everything I've ever found.
1: So when you think about a bag of seed that's $50 for an acre bag, and then let's just say you get four or five years, which you're going to get four or five years worth worth of growth out of it. Divide that over. I mean, it's just really inexpensive. Summers
3: are tough, but i tell you what, now I'm going on six years on one test place. Once it makes it through the first summer and you've got a lot more root structure, man, I don't know. I'm going to tell you, I've... As long as we keep it sprayed, it's still coming back. That's incredible.
5: And I'll I'll throw this in real quick because I know we have people to listen from all over. I've seen it look just as good in the northern tip of New York as I have the southern part of Alabama. Mm -hmm. It's... That's it's, saying something, It really does I mean, work in a lot lazy. Of places. It's,
0: it's their go-to as well. Oh, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Just wait for about a month and see how many deer get killed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're going to hit the ground pretty soon, that's yeah. for sure.
1: Well, good. Y'all explain it. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Yeah. There's that, an explanation of that nurse crop. Because so many guys now are starting in the south, <clears> are starting to look at <clears> clover. It's a real important... Uh,
3: well, I mean, it's, and he said just the main thing, remember, if you throw the clover out there and that's it, and you got a high deer density... They're gonna, even though it's not going to be much, they're going to mow it. And uh, that's the thing about clover. It's built for grazing. That's why it's so valuable to get a grown, mature stand of it. But it's not very tolerant when it first germinates. and It's a tiny little. Plus, it's not much for them to eat anyway, tonnage-wise, when it's new. So, honestly, I mean, you just got to protect it with something. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: So, Lanny, let's call Johnny McWright. I've got a few questions that Dude, people have emailed in.
0: doctor. Yeah. Johnny's over so, he's so. drawing up
1: plays for that's Ole Miss. It, oh, is he an Ole Miss guy? <laughs> he, he played football at Ole Miss. Oh my goodness, Johnny McRae. Who is this?
0: Let's <laughs> <laughs> well, not start off rec- like that. Now I
8: recognize, I recognize all that laughing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's me. <laughs> well,
1: Johnny, I'm sorry we're a little late calling you, but as things uh, often do around here, we're running a little late.
8: How are you today? <laughs> I'm fine. The problem is y'all talk too much, but I wasn't going to hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> I say you, you talk too much.
3: Lightning will strike
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> so, giant. yeah, well, I, I checked, I checked
8: the sky outside before I started running my mouth. There you go. All right.
1: Y'all
8: man. are doing good. Yeah. Yes.
2: Doing good. wonderful.
1: So, uh, we've been talking food plots and eventually everything when it, when we talk food plots comes back to, uh, to the dirt and the health of that dirt. And we just, uh, we wanted to get you on and ask you a few few questions if you've got time.
8: That, that'd be fun. That'd be fun.
1: Yeah. Well, look, I've, uh, I've been, you know, the people calling here all the time asking us questions. And this time of year, one of the main ones we get, and I know we have lightly covered this on a previous podcast, but I think it's worth mentioning again. People ask, can I lime? and, and it, right now when I'm about to put down my, my seat, how does that affect the overall thought process? Should the guy lime earlier and disc it in? Could you kind of go through that scenario?
8: Yeah, uh, really briefly, it depends on his, his capabilities, whether or not he can completely incorporate that lime into five or six inches of soil. If he can then he needs to do two things. He needs to reduce the amount that he's putting out instead of putting out... And it depends on heavy clay soil if they've got a p, I got some back the other day on some land that we just recently cleared. And I don't mind telling you, the pH is 4.8. Uh, the organic matter is about 5%, which is really good. And the phosphate and potash are non-existent. But... You know, when you look at something like that, the lime lime test, they run a pH test and then they run a separate test to tell you how much lime it takes to bring that sample based on one acre, six inches deep, up to a pH of seven. And the argument has been for years and years, we don't necessarily have to get it to seven. We don't have to have a perfect neutral pH. So in that case, what we're going to do, and we're already talking to some guys about coming in. We're going to put a ton of lime out there uh basically we we've uh we came in we clipped it we let it grow back a little bit we heat it with roundup it's pretty dead now we're going to go back in and apply lime and mix fertilizer and then we're going to cut it in about six inches deep we got a couple of tractors with uh, uh you know double disc uh where we can get them incorporated and that's fine to do that if you're if you're only putting like a ton of lime out. The the problem is, and I see this mistake. I see this mistake in agriculture. I mean, you get a you get a soil test bang and says you need two and a half tons of lime. Man goes out there in the spring of the year, he puts two and a half tons of lime out there. He's in a hurry. He only incorporates it into a couple of inches. And, and this is strictly math. Now we've put two and a half tons that's designed for six inches. And we've put it in only, well, let's keep simple math. Let's say we only get it in three inches deep. Now we got the equivalent of five tons in the top three inches. Now we've got, we've taken, we've gone from one extreme, a low pH that's acid giving you a problem. Now we got a pH of eight and a half or nine in the top three inches, which is the primary germination zone. So we created more of a problem. And I don't, I don't want to overcomplicate it. But in reality, if you can if you can put a ton of lime out where you need lime and you can get it well incorporated into the top five or six inches of the soil, then you're okay to go ahead and plant behind that. If you can't get it truly incorporated well, you're better off not putting it out and waiting until after the hunting season or the early spring instead of trying to do it now in August or September. You're better off waiting and trying to do it in May or June or July, even if you can't get it fully incorporated. Does that
0: make sense to you?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, it does. You know, when you do all that simple math, and we are all here over here, kind of looking at. You Bobby's further. got
0: his shoes off. Yeah, We're you're good at putting his it.
2: You're good at putting it in layman's terms for for all of us. So Dudley, did you well, have a question? Was that? You? Was that?
8: I hope that wasn't sarcastic. I mean, <laughs> I was trying. to. To keep it I mean it is simple it is you know it, it really is I mean I've seen people take uh, what's supposed to go in six inches put it in two inches and then in, in theory they, they've got three times more in the top two inches than they need and they don't have any in the in, in from you know from two down to six and so what you've got is you've got a problem on the top and you got a problem on the bottom and you wonder why it doesn't grow off very well And when you think well it's finally taken off it takes another slug back because now it's gone from a alkaline pH too high from an acid pH that's too low, which is worse than doing nothing. So anyway. Hmm.
2: Interesting. Yeah.
8: I hope that totally confused you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, well, I was telling people about a, a little planning method that's been working for me uh, lately, and uh, I forgot to mention that every time – I use your seed coat product. Um, right. I have to use it now every time I plant. Um, otherwise, I won't plant. But can you come a little bit closer and, and just describe how your product works?
8: Yeah, it's. Uh, I, 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 we don't keep it a secret. I mean, we, it's amazing. We've had an awful lot of people to try to, honestly, you wouldn't believe how many have tried to actually copy it. Uh, the key to it is getting to stay on the seed. But uh, in reality, we're not really treating the seed. We're just cheating, getting a ride on the seed into the soil because we want to have an impact on the area that's immediately adjacent to the seed. What we're doing is we're basically, think of it, it's like a vitamin pack, but think of it as feeding the bacteria or the microbes that are in the soil adjacent to that seed. The key to... Uh, uh, early emergence, not germination now. We don't, we don't really have that big a impact on germination. Uh, but the biggest, the most important factor in emergence and quick grow off is developing microhygiene in the soil adjacent to and on top of or, or really in contact with seed. That's a fungus that has to be there. That fungus, uh, that has to be there, in many cases, uh, is having to fight a fungicide that's coated on seed. If you don't have a fungicide on the seed, you don't have as much of a problem. Uh, but it's not just microhygiene. It's also uh, bacteria and algae, blue-green algae. There are a lot of different things. You know, we talked last time we visited about the soil being alive. Well, all of those microbes in the soil have to be there. To, because what they do is they consume carbon. In that process, they put oxygen in the ground. you got to have oxygen or air in the ground for the root system to develop properly. So if you can improve that microbial activity around that seed, you're going to form a healthier, more efficient root system a whole lot faster. And basically, that's what seed coat does. And, and, and I don't want to overcomplicate the conversation, but when you use seed coat, what you're trying to do is you're trying to help that root system develop quicker. You're going to get a better response in an acid soil or in a high pH that's too high soil. You're going to get a better reaction there than if the pH is 5.5 to 7. And the reason for that is because there's more for the seed to overcome. There's more problems for it. So, you know, I, I think I honestly think people that are are growing uh, growing food plots that you know just don't have time to get everything perfect like they want to like a grower does, they probably see more visual difference with seed coat than a guy that farms, you know, seven or eight thousand acres and has got everything perfect. Uh, you think about it. I mean he's gonna get his ground broken, he's gonna get rowed up in the fall if if at all possible. He's going to sit, he's going to wait on the perfect rain, and he's going to come in with uh, precision planters, you know, and, and all the technology in the world, and he's going to plant it under perfect conditions. Uh, the beauty uh, about what we do is because no matter what he does and how good a job he does, after he plants that crop and it emerges, here comes Mother Nature, you know, with sandblast and hot, dry weather, cold, damp weather. 20 inch rains in 24 hours, all these crazy things that can happen after it's planted. The key to the whole thing is the better developed the root system is and the quicker you can get that plant up out of the ground and grow the better off you're going to be no matter what the circumstances are after it comes out of the ground. And so that's honestly, that's what we, we learned a long, long time ago and that's why we tried to develop that product so we can say you know how do we give that seedling crop more vigor where it's pushing harder? The key to the whole thing is the root system, and the key to the root system is a healthy soil. Seed coat improves that soil, but only around the seed. That's the only place it
1: has an impact. Yeah, that makes sense. So, well, so uh, Johnny, if you you probably get asked a lot of questions by food plotters. If you had one or two things that you could point out to them, tips, if you would. To help improve their success with a food plot, what would that be?
8: Planning ahead. Honestly, it's got to be uh, the main thing. I mean, recognizing that the worst thing you can do is go out there and uh, bush hog it one day, burn it down three days later, and then try to and plant a crop. I mean... There are so many things wrong with that, that it's just, uh, it's just crazy. But I've always made the comment, people that, that have food plots, they farm on seven day intervals, you know, and if they look up and it's, uh, let's just say it's middle of August and they realize they've got to make in their minds, they got to make three trips out there to get that thing ready. They try to make those three trips in three or four weekends. And what they should be doing is planning it and getting started on it as early as June. So they've got a good, firm seed bed that's ready to plant. So that when they get the moisture, they can go in there and plant. And that's basically that's not what I see happening with most of them. Outfitters that do this for a living, you know, and I do. I do. I deal with some of those guys, and uh, you know, they're they're way ahead of the game. They're they're planning. I mean, they're plant. They're planning uh, one year before they finish the other much like a farmer does. But a guy that's out there that's got two or three food plots, I mean, he's going to do what he can when he can. And, and, and that's a problem. And, and so, you know, you've got to do everything you can to offset uh, the, the fact that you're rushing into it. Because most of them, no matter what you and I say, I mean, they're working for a living and, and doing what they got to do. So they they got to go out there when they can. And uh, invariably, the weekend that you plan to go, what happens? You get a big, you get a big torrential rain and you can't go. Well, you just lost one of those three or four weekends that you planned on getting everything ready. So, I think planning and doing things in advance is probably, uh, and, and understanding what to do, of course. But the biggest thing is is getting in there and getting it done in a timely manner. Yeah, there are some basic things that people just need to do, and and uh, they got to figure out, they got to find time. Honestly, find the time and the money to do it, you know, and do it do it in advance. And I think they'll see a huge difference in their success level. But anyway,
3: no always enjoy talking to you guys.
1: Yeah, Johnny, we appreciate you being on. Does anybody else have a question for Johnny? We're looking around. I'll, I'll, I'll never run out of
3: questions for Johnny, but we, <laughs> we got to say out bye. Of time.
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Johnny. Well, thank you for being here, Johnny McRae <clears throat> from Delta Ag over in Greenville, Mississippi. Thank you, you so man. much. Thanks, Johnny. All right, man,
0: y'all take care. all right Thanks, buddy. Bye. All you, man. Thank you.
1: So I wanted to uh, wanted to ask a question down to this side of the room and, get, and and talk about one of the things that we hear so many guys talk about. Where well, look if if, if it's calling for forty pounds an acre, what if I put eighty pounds on? Isn't that Oh bad? no,
0: made so, that mistake. Yeah, too. actually,
1: why don't you address that a little bit? Because more is not it, and you and you've learned this. Yeah. yeah,
3: you know, again, everywhere is everywhere is different. Um, size of the plot, the type of soil, you know, how much deer density, you know, traffic, so forth, so on. Um, But I have definitely learned um, one of those lessons is that less is definitely more. Um, I mean, there is maybe with just a pure cereal grain blend, you could put too much seed and then you know, have a really fertile soil, you know, you've had it lime bright and, you know, put an extra dose of just, you know, nitrate on it. And, and maybe that works in a high deer density. Quite honestly, as far as I know, us or nobody has a perfect, like, situation seed blend for a super high deer density. It's tough to deal with. And it, you know, what creates a high deer density is like you've got a place and there's only one food plot in a 800 acre, thousand acre area. That's going to bring them into that too. But what I did learn, and I really the hard way, um, is that you're going to get so much better quality, especially with like uh, brassicas, and uh, you know some of the leafier products that we have, uh, by planting less, by giving the, the plant more space. I think that's one reason Green Patch Plus is such a great blend because there's less brassicas and they've got more space. If you look at a really, for me over the years, a, a beautiful food plot of Green Patch Plus, it to me, it looks like we just planted brassicas, maximum almost. And then, you know, once you get out in it you'll see there's space between them and those are healthier plants. And then there's some, you know, a few cereal grains and some clover and some other things going on there. You uh, know, I do like blends because it does help kind of average your bet when you're planting a lot of different places like we do. But uh, there's no question that, especially with those seed, one of the biggest mistakes people made is looking at the bag of seed and the size of the bag of seed based on, and, and comparing that to the price of that seed and thinking they're getting a the value. When actually, you know, um, uh, I think it'd be easy enough to say a, a two or three pound bag of uh, maximum New Zealand brassicas that we bring in will grow way more tonnage in food than a fifty-pound bag of oats or wheat, mm. especially yeah, oats. That's
1: right. Yeah, you know? There's so many more yeah, seeds. Yeah, in that there's so lot. many
3: more seeding. And you think. Instead of one little blade of grass, it puts this big prong of, yeah. of uh, yeah you know vegetation out and all the you know. And really, the only big problem I've had too in planting too many brassicas, especially because there's there's not a better nutrient transfer that I know of uh for deer's nutrition than the the brassicas in maximum um if you have too many it's such a taxation on your phosphate especially and i bet that's why your brassicas do so good you said you had a phosphate rich soil Mm -hmm. dudley uh but i've had brassicas planted i thought you know because of the deer density i needed to plant them you know a little thicker and probably had too high a rate and um and then, boom, they turn. And I had, you know, um, added fertilizer to the soil test, and they looked great for a little while, and then they turned purple. Well, I guess that's a phosphorus deficiency, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? We hit them with, uh, was it DAP? This almost pure phosphate? Yeah. And boom, they just bloomed again, beautiful, dark, rich green. Before the winter was out, they were purple again. And you know, I was
2: just I bet soil, too much soil moisture probably helped with that too.
3: Probably, but I mean, I just learned lessons way too much plant density Mm -hmm. there. And so, that's a that's a you know, again, everywhere is different what you're trying to do, but a lot of people make the mistake of putting too many seed, yeah, in per square, you know, whatever acre, foot, whatever the measurement is. And
2: yeah, with brassicas, it seems like that's the worst.
3: I think I'm going to try again. You know, the the first, we converted some old pasture land in the middle of our family, kind of our emotional headquarters down there. Everybody's been in Shimola. And uh, in the middle of it was a big cattle farm that we'd be able to acquire. Uh, Everything else, you know, down there was timber. But then we planted where some of it could grow us, prairie dirt, so where we could get some pines to grow and some other stuff. But a lot of it was open ground. We converted right, there's a big ridge right through the middle of it, about 20, 15 or 20 acres of clover. And I told Greg's like, you know, disc it or, you know, let it come back to life. And then, you know, he did that three times in preparation to try to plant it because there's a lot of old fescue and stuff in there. So it was pretty clean by the time of fall. And my story is that he just took our grain drill that we're using and the clover hoppers, um, and he, he had been already planting some, like, Green Patch Plus and stuff in the in the, in uh, in there the drill. And so he just, you know, and it was empty, as far as we knew. And he loaded that non-typical clover in there and uh, planted. And, you know, we had this beautiful stand of clover. The next thing you know, he said, you need to come look at it. And I, I, literally, there was just he, they're so small, you didn't know it. But there was a remnant of maximum brassica seeds left in there that we didn't know in about. In the hopper. Yes. And so there was like, let's just say, you know, this table's whatever, 12 feet by four feet, something like that uh, area. You might have six or eight brassica plants, maybe. And these things got huge. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you look at it from a distance in the winter and you thought that's what we planted. Was the brassicas? They're so big and so lush, and of course, I guess the 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 clover and the nitrogen fixing kind of helped out some too. But they were so spaced out, and I, I you know I never tried that again to have just a light dusting of those brassicas as say the nurse crop. You know, no no cereal grain. I may try that this year, but it, it also proved to me what you could grow. And I bet you we grew as much tonnage with those mm-hmm. just few remnant seeds as if I'd planted it full rate.
2: I mean, when you plant it on time, it's almost like you only need one brassica plant, you know, every eight or twelve square inches. It's yeah.
3: it's amazing. If they'll let you get about a week or two of good growth on it, then it's off to the races.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, I tell you what, I love the brassica plants. They are so good at uptaking and nutrients. And they boy, they, they and they produce. You know, back in the day when we did, I can remember us taking and gridding off a ten by ten square foot mm-hmm. and weed eating it and weighing so it right. and all that. And we're talking about producing up to ten tons of forage per acre.
2: Yeah. It's, mm. That's an amazing
1: mm. amount. under the right conditions the right, and with the right yeah. seed
0: bed
2: and yeah, trying stuff, to get trying to get straight up wheat or you know, no nothing even compares. Nothing. It's and so they much taste food. good too. I mean, yeah. they're
1: great oh. to eat with deer meat. So <laughs> like, look, man, we we've been. We've been in here a long time. We're all getting hot. I can tell we got these masks on. And, but what have we
0: learned today, Lanny? I, I learned every time listening to Austin, listening to Toxie Talk, I was hoping he was going to talk about the uh, brassica seeds and how big they got at Shamula. I think that's a shining example. Um, you know, learn the thing about food plotting is I never quit learning about it. So uh, it's just uh, I think the thing that I've learned more than anything is, you know, and we've talked about this several times this year, is you can't get out there and get it all done right in one weekend. You know, wh- plan your work and work your plan right. uh, is the best way for me to say mm-hmm. it um, and get out there and put the effort in. And uh, it'll 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 pay you back 10, 12, 15. Pole.
2: Yeah. Dudley. what about you? Uh, there's no one perfect way to, to plan a food plot. Uh, we've talked to Kenny. He's got his method that worked well. I've got a method that's pretty much direct opposite of how he does his and it works well. Uh Experiment with some things on some small little pockets of your farm and and, uh, maybe you'll find a technique that, you know, works really good for you at your place.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Now I'm looking at Austin. Did you learn anything besides? Well, he eating? already knows everything. <laughs> well, <about food. laughs> he learned Come he needs, needs to bring a man <laughs> well, when yeah. he comes down there.
3: So you think he's going to admit that he <laughs> actually yeah, learned so something? He doesn't know about Yeah, well, I I got it got to flexing. To, out of I got there. to
5: talk to Johnny and got to listen to Toxie. So yeah, I learned something. You know, we've, we've talked so much about seeding rates and brassicas. So if we can throw one tip out at the end for guys for this upcoming planting, know the size of your plot.
3: And onyx is the greatest way to do it. it. Absolutely.
5: I used it for two hours yesterday, drawing out plots.
3: Onyx? Yeah. Oh, I I use it every day of my life.
5: It's unbelievable. So know the size of your plot, figure out your seed, and do it conservatively. Rather than going out there with a cone spreader like Kenny's talking about on really large plots, Mm -hmm. if you've got a quarter acre of ground to plant and you've got a quarter acre of seed, deal with a hand seeder. Yeah. Set it at half of what you think it ought to be and go in two directions. Go in four directions. Make four passes instead of one. That way you have the most even distribution of of seed as Mm -hmm. possible. Or you don't run
2: out of an acre's worth of seed in a corner. Everybody's done that. Everybody's done that. I've got a great story (laughs) about that. It's so easy to
5: do with the tiny brassica seeds too. The first time
2: I ever bought biologic seed, I bought a bag of premium perennial, and I I believe it was still in those old brown craft paper bags. And uh, I put it in the big old cone hopper, and my, grandpa, <laughs> my, my grandfather opened that thing wide open and started driving, and we ran out of that, you know, $130 bag of seed in like 10 yards. <laughs> yeah, you had a green All, Whole weekend ruined. Yeah. You had a green carpet. Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, man
1: yeah that's yeah. good advice so it, it it really is and so you know as we as we think about what we learned there's been a lot discussed a lot talked about and there's even more we could probably, we could probably do All several we do of these a, a well there's a couple things a everybody
3: plan. just about when you when you talk to the variety and listen to the variety of people and we've heard it you know and Johnny said it, a good start ahead of time I've mm-hmm. heard that and that that's helped me because you know I'll be so busy with one thing that I'll wait too late to get started but It's so important to start ahead of time, you know, and plan. Yes, yeah, that's good. And and not, you know, um, I would say I don't know what the number is. A way over the the majority of people would just plan like this work weekend for our club this year is October first or September tenth or whatever, and everybody meet out there. We're gonna have tracks. We're gonna get everything planted. And I would just beg those people do. You know, do it in stages if you can. Break that up a little bit. I mean, in my my tip, just go four to six weeks ahead of that time and cut everything one time with a good heavy disc, and you'll you'll be so far ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. Just that one little step. That's true. And you yeah. may save yourself money. Yeah. And yeah.
2: once college football season starts, you can you can forget it. Yep. <laughs> Correct. Truth
1: so mac what have you learned i'm sitting over there watching you and you look like you're cheering you're getting perked up every now and then what's going on i learned a lot but one thing that i i definitely learned was i need to get the Ferminator out a lot earlier I mean, absolutely. I mean, get it going and and getting getting the sole ready and and then following it up with the packer max, and Colts yeah. packet.
2: I mean, that's definitely what I would say. I'll yeah, wear. the
1: packer max is a great tool. And Dudley, I think they're making a crimper now. They you have a crimper, and I oh, yeah. will oh, own one. Of the, I, I will own
2: one. one before next food plot season. Everybody yeah.
0: knows what to get Dudley for Christmas. Yeah, we do. That'd be that. would be Kelly really listening? So we'll have to
2: make sure she finds out about that.
1: So look, alligator season starts in two days. So Lanny, Mac, y'all be careful out there. But bring us back an alligator if you can. I think y'all are filming it. Hopefully, we'll have a Gamekeeper Television show about (laughs) you guys hunting alligators. That'll be a lot of fun.
3: So So we're gonna eat gator. Yeah, again. Hopefully, uh, yeah. Just don't you know, leave like
2: the do don't leave the carcass in the garbage can in the front room, like, yeah, like y'all like did, did last that. time. Yeah,
3: <laughs> we did
1: that. The ladies around here didn't appreciate that any. <laughs> Only here, yeah.
0: Only here. That's right.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, look, guys, we've been, been I, a good one. I, yeah, and I'm I, I, this mag this mask. I'm kind of hot up in yeah, here. Yeah, okay. it is. But everybody,
3: the, the the you know, we're just talking about it. You can't see us. But everybody, please, everybody that can hear this voice, stay safe. Take care yeah. of yourself. Take care of your family, uh, and boy, this this whole you know the great thing about this time of year and here's Labor Day coming and you know it's planting food plots signals that's kind of that emotional new year for people that love to hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just my my advice to everybody is cherish every single minute of it and stay safe. You know. Stay safe. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's
2: right. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying don't to set Flip
0: flops on your tractor on no, top of no, wearing those things. Definitely <laughs> don't do. I that actually had a
2: customer call in and he said we need to, you need to give Lanny a harder
0: time for wearing flip flops. That's <laughs> exactly why I served it up. And everybody just looked at him like they're not even going to give. Fatal yeah. mistake. Fatal
1: mistake. Yeah. Well, okay. How is that toenail though? Oh, it's gone. Yeah, I don't, don't, <laughs> don't want to see yeah. it. It's just right. not even starting over. <laughs> bye bye. All right, guys. Well, look. Thanks for listening. And uh, again, we want to we want to thank. Uh, I think this is the fifty third ep- episode that we've done. So y'all be sure and, and try to watch our television show yep. On Tuesday nights on the Outdoor Channel. And then we've got uh, 52 other podcasts that you can go back and listen to. We sure would appreciate that. And give us a a review if you get a chance. So with that said, it's time to say goodbye,
0: Dudley. Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Mac Mac.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife Magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt Podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuzz Strickland.